Everyone, hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here in a very swanky hotel room <laughs> with AJ Jacobs. Hello, AJ. Hello, Allison. Welcome back to the show. You I am delighted to be back. Are the author of many New York Times best-selling books. The most recent is "It's All Relative: Adventures Up and Down the World's Family Tree," and also you were the host of a popular and critically acclaimed oh, podcast aren't you nice for saying Thank twice you. removed but yeah. you don't do that anymore no it was a huge pain in the ass uh i'm glad that some people liked it but it was the most labor intensive thing i've ever done so uh it was not sustainable but we got five episodes it took a year and a half to put on five episodes it was like making you know an epic movie so uh how soon into it did you realize uh oh this isn't for me well it's funny i mean the parts I liked were interviewing people because the premise of the show was we would take two strangers and figure out how they're related. So we had um, the, the women from Broad City, mm-hmm. Abby Jacobson and Elena, Alana Glazer. Alina? Yes. Alana? Alana. Alana. Uh, and we figured out how they were cousins. And I loved interviewing them. They were hilarious. Uh you know, Abby, I loved it. Abby, I asked her about her, you know, her proudest moment. And entertainment, and it was introducing the concept of pegging to <laughs> the mainstream. Which that was I in thought, an episode of Broad City. Yeah, I thought that was love. So I had a <laughs> wonderful time interviewing these people. But the level when uh, your podcast, I think, is the ideal because you just get to talk to interesting people. Hopefully, I'm one of them. I'm not <laughs> saying I'm. Interesting. I mean, look, there are exceptions, but for the most part. <laughs> Uh, but this one, it, was, it, it took, uh, as I say, a year and a half to do five episodes. And um, so I love the people who work there are incredibly talented, but it's just too much for me. I'm, and I was telling you this right before we recorded. I tell my kids all the time, uh, you guys have to learn how to cooperate. That's the way of the world. Uh, you learn how to work with other people. And I am a total hypocrite because I realize I hate working with people. (laughs) What a pain in the ass. I would much rather do something myself, even if it's flawed, uh, than have to try to cooperate with five other people and have these meetings. Well, see, it's interesting because you are, I recently heard you described as an immersion journalist. Yeah, there's lots of have names. You, have you used that term or is that just sure. how someone described you? I mean, there's the, the phrases are like immersion journalist, experiential journalist, stunt, stunt. journalist, um, uh, method journalist. I don't care. You know, so as long as people continue to read my books. Somewhat. You'll choose a challenge or a, a topic that you want to really delve into and then you'll you'll explore it in Every, every facet of it, and then write about your experience. That's right. So you did the year of biblical living, thinking? Close enough. It was the year of living biblically. <laughs> 
as it came out of my mouth, I was like, this feels wrong. It's and a, it it's was. It's hard to say, though. Biblically is a hard word. And I'm surprised the book did so well with a name, <laughs> with an adverb like that in the title. But you uh, lived your life by all the things put out in the Bible. Right. I, you I had decided, a slave. I did have a slave, you know. Uh, he was. Uh, he made me Ezekiel bread. He helped me sell my clothes on eBay, um, and I didn't pay him. So, I, I, I mean, it was more of an intern than a slave. Right. But the idea of free labor, that was the closest I could get Well, still, you know, living with myself. But, yeah, I followed every single yeah. rule. Ten commandments, but as you say, having a slave or um, stoning adulterers. I wanted to show, uh, well, two things. I wanted to see what... What I was missing, because I had no religion at all, mm-hmm. like what what is what is my Jewish heritage all about? Uh, but I also wanted to show the people who say, "Oh, I live by the Bible literally," you know, and I'm like, "Really? Do you? <laughs> Do you really like separate mixed fibers? Do you really stone adulterers?" So, no, you don't. You cherry pick like the rest of us, and that's okay. Just admit it. And don't try to be all self-righteous that homosexuality is an abomination. So you did that. You did uh, the know-it-all where you tried to read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. From right? A to Z. Or a- Act to Zivich, <laughs> specifically. Uh, drop dead, healthy. Right, right. Where you tried every exercise and diet. Exactly. For, that was two years, right? That was two years. So now, in It's All Relative, you tried to throw the biggest family reunion the global family reunion. That's true. And you immersed yourself in the world of genealogy. Right. To show how we're all connected. But the I, I bring this up because you saying that you don't like to collaborate with other people. <laughs> as I was reading the book, I was thinking, oh my God, I'm so fascinated by this, but deciding to throw this humongous family reunion would be a nightmare. That is so funny you bring that up. And you're right. That is a a paradox Uh, because I would. I am more, you know, I think I'm uh, I'm naturally more Larry David than Tom Hanks. You know, I am not a, a people person. But what I found is that... These categories are more malleable than we think. You know, everyone's like, oh, I'm an introvert. Uh, I'm an extrovert. But actually, you can kind of change. And this happened when I married my wife because mm-hmm. she is super extroverted. And like she's the type who will do like, you know, the electric slide at <laughs> weddings. And I found myself a couple of times doing the electric slide. I don't go that far anymore. But the idea is that if you force yourself, I know. Wait, you don't go that far, meaning I don't do dance? the electric slide. Yeah, okay. I did it a couple times, and I was like, "All right." But um, but in general, she has made me much more extroverted, and I do believe the category. It's like you know, gender fluidity. Mm-hmm. You can be an uh, extrovert fluid, and uh, I, because in, intellectually, like this is the every time I have plans, this is my thinking. Like, uh, we, we have a plan to go to dinner. Oh, God, I hate this. I hate this. I don't want to go out. I'd much rather stay home, watch Netflix. I go out. Uh, I have a lovely time and talk to people and get interesting ideas and perspectives from them. And I come home happier. So uh, I have to force myself to be an extrovert. But I do think it makes my life better. That is my experience with everything really? in life as well. And I find one of the challenges of being an adult is choosing things unpleasant things for myself like yeah. i think i do best like what's an example work 
<laughs> not this. This, is this doesn't feel no, no, no. Okay. This doesn't feel I'm like not work. Insulted. I'm not insulted. I <laughs> no, I, this does not feel like work. But I just mean anything because. When you're a kid, you don't have a choice. You have to go to school. You have right. to do things you don't want to do, and you're enriched for it. But as an adult, you really can choose to do the bare minimum. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I think I do best you know, when I am outside of my own brain. But it's so easy to decide to just wear sweatpants all the time and stay home. Right. Yeah, I have the exact same feeling. And even yeah, writing these books, uh, I dread them every time, but then I... I know that it's going to be an overall good experience. Well, that's, yeah. I, I mean, that struck me as I was reading it because I, I love it. I love that kind of throwing yourself in the middle of a potentially crazy world and reporting on all the details about it to the, you know, to the level of, of the dialogue and, and the way people say things. But when you're doing a book, because I, journalism background. So I would be assigned things like go to this thing and write about it. And that's a very discreet little experience. Right. But with the book, you are in charge of your schedule for a year, right? Right. Are there points at which you're like, I don't want to keep doing this? Oh, yeah. And again, it's all about um, forcing yourself and self-delusion. And that is one of the big takeaways from all of my books is the, the whole idea of acting your way into a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I wish I came up with the phrase myself, but it's the founder of Habitat for Humanity. He said, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. So you like you pretend, you act as if, and eventually your mind changes. And even with confidence, I don't think I'm a naturally confident person, but I'll just give you an example. When I was writing the book about health, trying to be the healthiest person alive. I was totally overwhelmed. I was filled every morning with angst and uh, and dread, but I would pretend I was confident. So I would, you know, call up my publisher and say, "Oh, this book is going to be great and uh, let's have a big party when it comes out and serve healthy kale martinis." And you know, or I'd set up an interview with a bunch of experts uh, saying, you know, I'm writing this book. Uh And after about three hours of acting like this, my mind sort of caught up and was like, you know what, I I do, I feel confident (laughs) now. So really, that's, that's the way I have to go through life, because otherwise, I would just curl up on the couch in a fetal position. Someone like your wife... Now, does she still work for the scavenger hunt company? She does. Thank you for remembering. Yep. Watsonadventures.com. Does she have any of this angst? Or is no. she just like, today's a new day. I'm going to go out there and do stuff. That's exactly it. I think <sighs> some people are built where they actually enjoy naturally human interaction. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I'm so jealous. Also, I'm jealous of her because she enjoys exercise. I can't believe it. She like, <laughs> when she's sweating and huffing, she's a, Having a good time, and I find it to be the most painful. Unple- I, I force myself to do it because I know I want to, you know, live longer than fifty three. But uh, wait, is that the age that uh, death comes for you without a treadmill desk? Yes, that is the science that says okay. that. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I believed you. You would, you would be the person who would know. <laughs> well, that's the other thing I learned. You know, all these. Don't believe when people say something with such certainty in the health world. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all statistics and probabilities. But anyway, the probability is I'll live longer. Uh, But I hate it. Oh, I hate it. I have to force myself. Do you like exercise? I 
Um, don't mind it. There's some exercise that I don't like. like. I'm not a runner. Run. I've tried repeatedly. I can, for me, if I'm on a treadmill and I'm running and I can get to five minutes, like, oh my God, it's been years (laughs) since I've done that. But I do ride a stationary bike every day or I try to do it every day. At home or you go to a gym? Yeah, no. Interesting. It's home. Do you watch shows or any or listen to a podcast or what do you do on it? Usually I just mess around on my phone. Interesting. Sometimes I will read, but usually I'm just looking at Twitter and uh, Instagram and email. And the problem is periodically I will stop pedaling because I'm like, oh, I have to read this and I can't do two things at once. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but recently my phone was in the baby room because I was playing music in his room and I left my phone in there as he was falling asleep and I rode the bike without my phone and I thought it was going to be hard, but I grabbed a book. And I could do it the old-fashioned way. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, look at you. You are you're like a pioneer, <laughs> <laughs> just like our f- forefathers exactly. did. Exactly. So it's all relative. Let's talk about this. What was because you did a lot for this book. What did what particular aspect did you dread the most, and what did you look forward to the most, oh, or enjoy the most? Well, I mean, the book is it's it's part memoir and part how-to and part adventure and part like thriller can i put on this reunion so the part that i love yeah it's a thriller very (laughs) mild thriller but no one's killed but it's a thriller uh but the part of all the, the the books that i love is just the research meeting new people um even though i dread it in the beginning but mm-hmm. getting different perspectives and just meeting the most uh Interesting. I I loved. I talked to uh, one of my favorite stories in the book is about these uh, Korean women. They were uh, twins separated at birth. The documentary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the documentary? I saw most of it. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the story is just quickly. They um, they were uh, born in Korea, adopted to two different white families in America. they were on Facebook and had some mutual acquaintance who said, you guys look eerily alike. What's going on? They met up, took the DNA test. Turned out they were... Uh, Very emotional. Yeah, it was wonderful. And uh, yeah, so they are... Uh, and, and what I found inspiring about this story, and it's part of the big thesis of my book, is that that family uh, should be broadly interpreted. It's it's not just two opposite gender parents with two and a half kids. So they because they got together, very emotional, they tried to reach out to their biological mom in Korea. She wanted nothing to do with them. And I was like, are you disappointed? And they were like, yeah, but we feel we have five moms. We have the my uh, adopted mom, my twins' adopted mom, once an actress who had a, a what she calls a momager, <laughs> and so I love this idea that they they could expand the idea of family. So that to me was so fun talking to them, talking, going to the twins festival in Ohio where there are thousands of twins, and uh, you know, just it's a uh, a delightful freak show. No <laughs> offense, I have twins. Um, <laughs> And and meeting interesting people like interviewing George H. W. Bush, uh, that's what I love. The actual, did he grab your butt? <laughs> he didn't. He was very well behaved. <laughs> he was very well, and I did take a picture with him. So, uh, but yeah, 
I loved, um, I love that. At the actual act of writing, I find very unpleasant. Mm. As a writer, I'm a writer who hates writing. But I'm not alone. There are some like me, but I think there's most like you. It's <laughs> true. Uh, What's yeah. your process? Are are you regimented about it? I am somewhat regimented. I find. And I want to hear yours, actually. But what I do is I need like a good three hours uh, because like we were talking earlier, it's all about forcing yourself. So I force my fingers to click on the keyboard uh, and it could be just crazy talk like (laughs) there's a pigeon outside my window, you know, the walls are white. Uh, Just the act of moving my fingers and getting words on the screen gives me some momentum. Mm -hmm. And I know I, I feel as long as I tell myself this first 20 minutes is crap. I know it's crap. You know it's crap. But let's just get started because otherwise you'll be sitting there. So that's what I find helpful. And what about you? Well, how do you get it? Um, I mean, it's been a while since I've been writing regularly, but I used to be, I wouldn't say I was necessarily disciplined, but I was sort of ritualistic in that, and it was always if I was on deadline, um, cause I'm not good at just, I'm just going to write for myself. I'm not great <laughs> at that. I've become a little better at that, but back then, no. Um, so I would need to clean my desk first, not clean it well but like get everything in mm. piles because for some reason i could not work if there was a mess everywhere i've i've pushed through that <laughs> now oh, really? i'm okay with mess good for much. you i've had to i don't know that i don't know if that's good it's more like i've just accepted there's a certain amount of malaise that manifests as piles of crap on my desk i did recently <laughs> clean it um and then i would go back and read old articles i had written mm. that sounds so narcissistic no, but for some I, reason it kind of got me into the right headspace and I then i would like just that. start I'd, i've done the same thing i've also read other people you know i'll mm-hmm. i'll read like you know i don't want to come off with the same voice as anyone else so i'll read like 10 different snippets so like you know something from uh david sedaris or some bill bryson but then something from someone more serious and something from like you know mark twain so just get get inspired Mm. by all these different people i really do perseverate i think might be the right word over the beginning like i know there are people who are like just start and you can do the beginning later Mm. um and i'm not really Maybe I've done that and maybe I've changed the beginning after, but I really do spend like I I will sit there with four different first lines mm. and like kind of work on all of them and until how do you three fall away. Between? I just I don't know one one or two feel the best. Right. Well, um, sometimes I'll do the same, but I'll I'll focus group them. I'll send them to a couple of friends oh. and say which do you, which would you rather read and continue reading? Here are three first sentences. And do you always go with what they say? Well, I find I, in general, I try to send a very early version of my book to 10 friends who are very nice to read them. And I ask them, I say, what are your like five favorite chapters and what are your five least favorite chapters? And then I, uh, you know, I'll even sometimes make a chart and see because I don't want to take just one person's advice because they could be a weird. An idiot, yeah. (laughs) Especially if they're friends of mine. Uh, but uh, but if I get like, you know, seven people saying I didn't like this chapter, then I'm like, you know what? This is a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I find that very helpful. Has it ever happened that you've gotten a bunch of negative feedback on something that you really liked? 
Um, no, I can't say that I have. I kind of always have a sense with this one. I mean, it's usually something that I feel I have to put in the book, uh, but then I realize, you know what? I don't have to. It's not. I'm not trying to write. You gotta let yourself go. And I, I sometimes I think I've got to write. This is the book of record about health or genealogy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? It's not. It's there. Like you know, there's the Harvard uh, book of health and medicine, and they can do everything. I don't have to do everything. So, what is the book of record for genealogy? The Book uh, of Mormon. Aside from mine, I, mine is, I don't want to give the wrong idea. Mine oh. is the <laughs> book of record that you need to get. Uh, well, it's interesting. I mean, I feel very lucky in that there have not been a lot of nonfiction books about this craze yet. Uh, I think they'll come. But um, yeah, and I guess, yeah, if you want full-on genealogy, go to, right, what you said, a Mormon research center. And they have just reams and reams of data that will just blow your mind. I have a couple friends who are Mormon. Um, Listeners of my podcast will know Jenna and Al, who used to be regulars on the panel version of the show, which comes out on Thursdays. They recently moved to Georgia, so they're dead to me (laughs) because they can't come on the show anymore. That's actually not true. It's not true that they're dead to me. They are living in Atlanta. But anyway, so yeah, through them, I started to get wind of just how into genealogy mormons are right why well i'm gonna totally botch it because i'm an outsider but the general idea is that it's a huge part of their theology and to be happy in the afterlife Mm -hmm. you have to know exactly who your ancestors are because you are sort of bonded with them in the afterlife so it's literally a matter of eternal happiness uh, finding and they are uh, stuck with these people that many people wouldn't want (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I, I'm moving far away from you. See you in the afterlife. That's a good point. Like, what if you hate your <laughs> right. uh, your mom and dad and then you're stuck with them? I'll have to ask that. What the, But they uh, they have more. I, I went to Salt Lake City for the book. I write about, you know, a couple chapters of my pilgrimage there and it's wild. I actually, it was one of the, the largest group of people I will ever speak to. I'm pretty confident Unless I, you know, something weird happens. I spoke to in front of 8,000 people, wow. mostly Mormons, uh, at this genealogy conference. I was actually the warm-up act for Donny Osmond. So that's Look at very that. stressful, you know, because he's like genealogies. He, I mean, he's Mormons like, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen or whatever. <laughs> and uh, uh, But it was, it was their great audience, I will say that. Like, you know, they, uh, they're very nice. They, mm-hmm. they feel they are nice. the stereotype is that they're nice. And I find that they do definitely fit that stereotype. So they would laugh at all of my uh, jokes, even if they were offended. <laughs> um, so it's interesting to me that you dis- you use the word craze just now to mm. describe genealogy. I want to ask you about that. But first, I want to talk to you guys about a perfect gift for the holidays. Oh. A perfect gift for the person who has it all or the person who has nothing. It really spans in terms of perfect <laughs> gifts. Um, it's Omaha Steaks. It's so easy. You can get the perfect gift and avoid the malls, lines, and crowds. Um, I've mentioned Omaha Steaks. I've done. I've talked about Omaha Steaks more than once on the show. And every time I talk about them and people go out and order Omaha Steaks for their family or for their friends, in keeping with the theme of this podcast, I'm going to say their family, uh, it is such a you get a, people are so happy to receive it because you get so much 
for not very much money. Uh, let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how for only forty nine ninety nine you can get my fam- oh, it's so perfect for this podcast my family gift pack when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter my code Rosen in the search bar. That's seventy five percent off. Uh, and right now Omaha Steaks is giving an exclusive savings just to my listeners. Listen to everything that you'll get for less than $50. I hope you're sitting down. Two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four kielbasa sausages, four burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus get four additional kielbasa sausages free. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter my code ROSEN in the search bar and get a 75% savings. It's the gift guaranteed to be a hit. If you get this for people, let me know their reaction because 100, I truly, this has been my experience, people letting me know. 100% of people that I have heard about have been thrilled with it. It just makes a great gift and it's super easy. It's a no brainer. Okay, AJ, the genealogy craze, explain. Yeah, it really is a craze, uh, and it's just gotten bigger since I started the book because you have, uh, you know, you've got TV shows, you've got uh, five million people have have spit into a tube or swabbed their cheek for this DNA. Uh, their genealogy cruises. Uh, there are these massive conventions of thousands of people, uh, like with Donny Osmond, uh, and it is. Uh, I mean, I think there are a couple of reasons fueling it. One is just. I and mean, we, we I think there is a basic human urge to know where we came from, who we are, mm-hmm. and this is one answer. Uh and there's is, there's a sense a little bit of a, like um a self-obsession. One one genealogist calls it the museum of me because <laughs> it's like you're looking at all of history and it all leads to you. Right. It's like thousands of people had to have sex all to create you and you're like I'm the center of the world. <laughs> uh which is not a healthy way to look at life. Um, so, and and then the other thing that I think is very important is it is the golden age for information. You used to have to like get on a train and go to Cleveland sitting courthouse and get your marriage records of your grandpa. Now you you really do it just sitting on the couch with Netflix streaming next to you, and it is it's amazing uh, just how much is out there, and it's it's quite moving when you find like you know when I found the passenger manifest of of my uh, great grandma coming to Ellis Island, it's like you know it's like wow I would not have existed my life would not be the same without this happening and here's some physical proof of what what actually went down. You mentioned in the book that it's somewhat recent that you've become very interested in family. It's true because I think, uh, I mean, family is complicated because on the one hand, it's lovely, which, you know, the backbone of civilization. On the other hand, it can be quite horrible. Mm -hmm. You can have a terrible family you don't get along with. Um, There's also this philosophical that sort of think of this thought experiment like you just had a, a, a baby. So if you were given by some evil demon and he said, you can either save your baby and kill 10 strangers like, you know, in Pakistan, uh, which would you choose? You have to choose one. Uh, I would kill the 10 strangers mm-hmm. and feel terrible, but I'd kill them. Uh, and I think that's very human. 
it's a weird because you're choosing your own family over the good of society. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily great in the you know it worked when we were cave people and you were in a little band and you had to choose your band. But now we live in a global world, uh, so family is complicated. But it, we're stuck with it, you know. I, I love my family more than anything, my you know my immediate family, and so I'm not about to. Uh, abandon my kids for the you know and go work in africa even though morally maybe i should right uh so the idea partly of this book is to expand the idea of family so it's not just your immediate family try to the, the widen the circles of compassion as uh, as some philosophers say so my circle of compassion i try to think of the global family like all seven billion people and of course i'm going to choose my kids first but Mm -hmm. maybe i give more thought to my 17th cousin in uh, in bangladesh than i would if i just saw him as some random stranger and has that been borne out do you find that you're more compassionate i yeah i mean i'm still a selfish horrible person like i think every human (laughs) but i am working on it and uh i do think it's i've gotten better i actually call it the uh, Judge Judy effect because I uh, I always hated Judge Judy. Uh, just I found her really just highly obnoxious, abrasive. But then I found out she is my eighth cousin. And uh, it actually, weirdly, it changed my perspective. Irrationally, rationally or not, I was like, ah, oh, Judge Judy, you're my cousin. I'm, you know, uh, you're probably a good person. She's just, <laughs> she's just doing her shtick and I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and so it has made, it sort of softens your heart. And there are empirical studies to back this up. Great study by Harvard last year about how they told Palestinians and Israelis, they told one group how closely they were related and another group they didn't. And the folks who thought they were related were much kinder, mm-hmm. much more open to negotiation. Uh, so I love that message, that it actually has a real-life impact. You ask at one point in the book, is family bad? Mm. Like, is it an expression of tribalism in a negative way? Or is there even a positive expression of tribalism? <laughs> or is that just all negative? Well, it's, it's a good question, I, because I do think we are a tribal as a species, but... I think you can either manifest itself as community, like a like a nice supportive community, or it can go the other way, and you can be like us versus them mm-hmm. in group out group. So I guess the good version of tribalism is community, and that and we 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 thrive in communities. It's good. Uh, I just don't want them to be uh, separate. I want them to be open. Right. Well, so there is this. In the book, there's this, you, which you just said, this hope that we will see ourselves all as connected, and so there will be more compassion and less tribalism, and you talk about being depressed, especially in these times. Oh, yeah. So how much, which came, which came first in terms of the process of doing the book? Was it like, I am super bummed out when I turn on the news or did that happen after you started delving into genealogy? Well, it's funny because I started this a while ago, like three or four years ago, and I was uh, worried about tribalism even then mm-hmm. and uh, sort of the divisiveness and the, the you know, the f- fractionalization. But then, like, 
last year it's gone into overdrive and i am freaked out yeah. it is unbelievable we seem to be going along a, a like a relatively rational good path towards it did global. seem that way yeah. didn't it it was like oh this is we elected a very rational president and then now it's like we've taken a step back into the 14th century with uh you know, and, and this idea that globalism is a bad word is just insane to me. Like, we are, we live in a globe. We need to cooperate with everyone to solve these massive problems like climate control. I was just listening to a podcast uh, with Richard Dawkins about the, the, the real danger of asteroids hitting the Earth like Armageddon. Uh, mm. And, uh, you know, it's not science fiction. That, like, could happen. And we need the world to cooperate to go kill that asteroid uh so yeah it freaks i'm so freaked out more than my entire life by how we've separated evolved into, the, into ideology and insanity yes it's it is uh it's mind-boggling to me people who are because you talk about the fact that we're mutts and that there's just a big genetic stew as a good thing. Right. Um, there are a lot of people who would, especially on Twitter, who would disagree with that. True. They want, I don't know what they, racial purity, the, yeah. the home, the fatherland. I don't know exactly what they want. Um, Lebensraum. Uh, but do you think if they knew that they were mutts, that would, I mean, do you think there's a way to get through to them? Well, it's interesting because we know that, and there is a, a widely varied reaction. So there are these uh, the psychologists studying the white supremacists who take DNA tests and find out that they are part African American or part Jewish, and they just flip out, and some of them go. Uh, into denial and just say, oh, it's just a conspiracy by these genetic companies who want to prove that we're multiracial, multiethnic. Uh, some of them do make the turn, and it's almost like a movie. It's like a J.J. Abrams movie. They're like, <laughs> oh, my God, I didn't realize I'm part black. I'm Now I realize my, my error. I'm an idiot. Uh, so the answer is it depends on the white supremacist. But I am hopeful that, you know, as this message continues, and, and one thing I do love is um, intermarriage between different ethnicities. Uh, you know, there's a uh, weirdly, I don't know why I remember this quote from Bullworth, but that movie, <laughs> like, and he, Warren Beatty played the senator who proposed that the solution to many of our problems was what he called a uh, procreative racial deconstruction, mm. which was just everyone having sex with everyone of different colors until we're all the same color. Well, I mean, I feel like eventually that will happen. It's going that way. Yeah. I mean, the it's remarkable. I love, there was a good Mindy uh, Kaling episode where she's she goes to a party with a bunch of millennials and she's like i feel so out of place all these people are at least three different ethnicities and i'm like yes that's exactly the way the the demographic trends are going mm -hmm. and i think that's a good thing uh do your kids have an interest in this uh yes parts of it parts of it no uh i do they like I went to speak at their school, for instance, and I showed how they were related to everyone. And they were excited, you know, when they were related to, uh, I don't remember who it was, like uh, George Washington. 
I made the mistake of linking them to Taylor Swift, which was a huge uh, faux pas. Oh, see, I would have thought that'd be cool. Not to my sons. I mean, maybe to some of their friends. Right. But yeah, I should have gone with, I don't know, who do they like? Bruno Mars or I don't know. (laughs) Beyonce even would have been much, much better. Right. But uh, so, yeah, some parts they love. And they loved part of the book, as I said, it was putting on this family reunion for thousands of my relatives and they loved being a part of that and i do think you know as a parent the wisdom is like doing family projects is good really good bonding for the family and i agree but i'm like you know i don't do i don't build kayaks or like you know retile my kitchen uh so this was my family kayak this is my kayak (laughs) exactly uh you know what you could do with your family that's a great collaborative project or you could do it yourself is blue apron wow that's a great idea send you a box of everything you need to make a delicious healthy meal so you don't have to do that thing where you're like i want to make this i got to go to the store i got to buy all the ingredients i got to come home i got to measure them and chop them and then what do i do with the leftover chervil no they take all of the guesswork out of it and they send you a wonderful recipe card on heavy cardstock that you will want to collect and keep, which I guess is kind of what collect means, uh, where they break down how to make the recipe with pictures and whether you're a really good chef or a novice. It's super easy and it's perfect for you and it's flexible and there's a guarantee, Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. And so you can get, for example, meals like crispy wild Alaskan pollock and garlic mashed potatoes with roasted broccoli and tartar sauce, cheesy broccoli baked pasta with crispy thyme breadcrumbs. Check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first order with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Allison. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Allison. A-L-I-S-O-N. Just one L because blame my parents. <laughs> Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay. I, by the way, I love that you use the word chervil. That is a delight. <laughs> That's my second favorite herb after fenugreek. Oh, what is fenugreek? I have no idea. A, no idea. It's a, it's a great name. It's just a nice word. Yeah. It really is. Um, all right. So we have some questions from listeners. We have Excellent. just mere everyone. Just trying to figure out if there's anything else I need to ask you first. About all of this, um, well, since you are the book of record, I'm going to ask you a question that really is more for like the head of 23andMe or whatever. Sure. But I'm just curious, s- since the way it works is by comparing you to all the people in the database, right. how did they like get up and running? Because when it was just three people who had submitted, you know, <laughs> how did they do it? Do you question. know? Uh, and the answer is, it used to be far less accurate, and it still is not... Uh, oh, right, because you, you found out you were Scandinavian, exactly. and then it went down. Right. Five years ago, I took my first one of these, and it came back, and I was like, mostly Jewish, but also 14% Scandinavian. And I was like, psyched, because I like, you know, the idea of... I was like, told my wife, we'll go cross-country skiing, <laughs> we'll have some herring. Uh, but then, as more data came in... It turned out like it went down to 2%. Now it's at like 0.1%. Oh, wow. Yeah, You've so lost a considerable I, amount of Scandinavian. I so lost. Yeah. It's, I've been de-Scandinavianized. And uh, so, sorry. Yes, yeah, it was kind of sad. I like. I will say nowadays the most accurate 
ones shows that I'm I'm mostly Jewish, but about two and a half percent Arab. Mm. So I like that I have the Middle East conflict raging in my <laughs> right, body, right inside you. I've never done one. I feel like I should. Well, the, I I recommend them, but there are caveats. You know, one is privacy. Uh, you know, hackers in the future may be able to look and see what genetic defects you have. And then the other one is just, you know. And the, then do what, though? Kill you? Yes, kill you. <laughs> like where, where does that go? <laughs> or will you need your genetic defect to log in at that point? Right, there you go. Well, I think it would, I mean, this, the, this dystopian scenario is like insurers will know, mm. oh, she has a breast cancer gene. I'm right. Charge her. I did oh. take... Um, it was recommended that I take the BRCA test years ago, and I did take it, but I remember it was before Obamacare, and I remember I was switching insurance, and I remember being very ner- mm. nervous about how could this impact whether I can get insured or not. If it, thank- Thankfully, it turned out I, I'm, I don't have the mutation, but someone explained, like someone at, I don't know, either in the medical field or in the insurance company explained that it it must have been the doctor. We would, I wouldn't have called the insurance company to find out if this is a bad idea. I think a doctor explained why it would be fine, but I still did wait to get insured mm, before interesting. taking it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that is. I mean, and then there's also the the unpleasant surprises you might have with finding that you know your father is not a different man than who you assume. And I have a chapter in the book. One right. of my favorite stories is a guy who, as an adult, he had nine siblings. And they all took DNA tests and found that they were from nine different fathers. They assumed wow. they were all from the same one. It was like Maury Povich to the nth degree. And How did was, you find them? He was referred by a friend, a lovely man named, um, oh my goodness, uh, Scott Fisher, a Mormon. Um, but it's a crazy story also because he forgave, he forgave his mom. He's like... She had flaws, but she also had good parts. And the father knew that these were not his biological children, but he still treated them with love and kindness. And I was like, that is a nice message. That yeah. is a nice message, even though it's like a crazy, screwed up tale. Do you think that there are, I mean, now that you, you have immersed yourself in family and genealogy so much, how much did you, what what exactly do you feel that genes account for? I mean, obviously health and, and and the way you look and things like that. But do you think there are are personality traits that are genetic? I think there is a genetic component. I mean, I think it is all a mix. Uh, uh, I don't know the exact percentages, but you know, epigenetics is this whole new area where it's it shows that it's it's you know you have these latent possibilities in your gene that can be triggered by your environment so i would say yeah um i mean my hope is that you can as a liberal i'm i'm hopeful that you can overcome your your worst traits uh you know like we were talking about extroversion i mean i don't think you may have a tendency towards extroversion in your genes or introversion, but I think you can change. I think you can, find, and and there are limits. I don't think you can change if you're gay. I don't believe in conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. That's evil. But there are some areas that are more malleable uh, with the environment. So uh, a mix is the answer. 
That's exactly 43.57%. You do know the exact percentage. I do. do. (laughs) Um, Oh, do you know what your next book is going to be? I do. It is a book that was due two weeks ago, and it is uh, not quite finished. But I take one of my joys, which is my morning cup of coffee, which I'm holding up right Mm -hmm. now, and I try to thank everyone in the world who helped make it possible. So I went to Columbia, and I thanked the bean growers and the logo designer and the truck driver, the guy who designed the tires for the truck. And so it's to show there are thousands of people involved in every little thing we do. So it's more of a another idea of a connectedness of the world and globalism, which uh, our president is trying to make a dirty word, but mm-hmm. which is just, uh, you know, we live in a global world. So suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's... <laughs> Let's take some questions that uh, came in over Twitter. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. James Leroy Wilson asks, What got you to be a fact checker on Tell Me Something I Don't Know? And is Dubner a nice guy in real life? Well, certainly the second one, no. (laughs) Explain this for the listener who (laughs) does not know what we're talking about. But I jest. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, It is a show called Tell Me Something I Don't Know, which is sort of, um, it's like a game show, trivia show, uh, podcast. Uh, Very fun. I love being a part of it. I go on like once every three or four episodes and they'll tell some wacky story and then I have to fact check and see whether it's true. And uh, I think I got it partly because I know uh, Stephen, partly because my first book was I read the Encyclopedia Britannica to try to learn everything in the world. So allegedly, I know a lot, even though, of course, I forgot 99.5%, but there is always Google. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's been fun. And it's, uh, I did, most of the facts are true. I did find there was one audience member who told me, she said that if you... She told the uh, the uh, the show, if you look in Jackson Pollock's paintings, there's always a little secret. Um, his, Nina? His, yeah. It's like the <laughs> Al Hirschfield. There's like the name of his girlfriend or daughter, I guess his girlfriend. Um, and that turned out to be totally false. So that <laughs> was one of the few times I was able to bust someone, even though I feel bad because it's, it's kind of a fun fact. I right. Like, I wish it were true. Yeah. You know what I always question the veracity of? Hmm. Um, I think it's Uber facts. Oh, my God. Are any of those true? And also Snapple facts. Oh, I haven't fact-checked Snapple, but Uber just drives me crazy because I am. I see them pop up, and they are, yeah, so often. I mean, they might be partly true, but, yeah, they are like Trumpian in their lack of regard for (laughs) (laughs) For the truth. For the truth. Avidan says, is his wife happy that he's no longer doing insane things like not shaving for a year or reading an encyclopedia? I mean, arguably thanking everyone that brought you your cup of coffee. Right. Is yes, similar. True. It is similar. I mean, it doesn't, I, I have to travel, but I'd say the Bible, when I followed the Bible, that really was the height of driving her crazy because like... Uh, as you probably know, in Leviticus, it says you cannot touch women when they're menstruating. Mm-hmm. But if you take it literal, literally, Leviticus says you cannot 
uh, sit on a seat where a menstruating woman has sat because the seat is impure. And my wife thought that was offensive, so she sat in every seat in our apartment, and I had to stand for the whole year. So she does get back at me uh, in some ways. <laughs> I was very proud of her. Uh, but yeah, uh, she. I mean, this one she had mixed feelings about. She liked uh, that. This one, the family one? The family one. I mean, in some ways, she's all about family. Uh, the paradox of this, perhaps, was that I was spending so much time with my 17th cousins that I spent less time with my wife and kids. Mm -hmm. So I think she's glad that it's over in that sense. But she's also glad, you know, we discovered some amazing things about her family. Uh, she was not happy. I figured out how we're related to Jeffrey Dahmer, <laughs> and it's through her side. So I want, I like, like to bring that up. She doesn't think that's cool. Can you explain what second, third, fourth cousin and what removed means? Yeah, the second, third, fourth is actually very easy. The removed gets uh, kind of complicated. The second, third, first cousin, you share a grandpa and a grandma. Uh, second cousin, it's a great grandparents. Third cousin, great, great. So that's it. Oh, Simple that's, as that. that is very easy. Yeah. The removed, it gets a little... Is that marriage? Do. Does that have to do with marriage? By removed? marriage? Nope. Yeah. Oh. No, no, it doesn't. But it it has to do with generation. Mm. So your mom's cousin is your first cousin once removed. Oh. So it's either up or down the the family tree. But it gets a little tricky. I actually have a chart in the book, uh, the book of record on genealogy, right. which has every single fact you need to know ever about genealogy and that but yeah i still get confused i gotta be honest not with the first second cousin but with right. the other one but the removed there's actually i can think of examples in my own family of that because i know my dad's cousin so there you go yeah so that's first cousin well, once removed i mean this is just in english other cultures have different uh some have like a different name for every single relative some which i like like hawaiian typically has very few so like everyone's a cousin like, you know, that seems the simplest. Yeah. Why not? That's sort of the point of my book. Like, hey, cuz you're my cuz. Everyone's a cuz. Let's not get let's not get technical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK. And Louise says when he comes up with ideas for topics like living biblically or being super healthy, how does he decide whether or not to pursue them? I am super excited for this episode. Oh, well, I'm excited. You're excited. I would say partly it is. I come up with a lot of ideas. That is one strength of mine. The weaknesses, a lot of them suck. So uh, <laughs> the key is, though, I, I've done, I did an article on creativity, and the key really is quantity. You know, it, like Mozart came up with a lot of ideas, but, you know, a lot of songs, and a lot of them sucked. It's really a numbers game. So I, uh, I just try to come up with a lot and see what resonates. What I remember, like a week later, it's like, oh, that that has potential. Oh, so you don't write them all down? Oh no, I do. They, I have hundreds of you know failed ideas written down. Mm -hmm. I also there's you know I have to get approval from my wife. So, I a lot of readers have sent in the suggestion that I do um, try to become the greatest lover in the world, like <laughs> do all the positions in the Kama Sutra. Oh, and I. Uh, I, That's collaborative. Well, <laughs> that is that is very collaborative. Uh, but yeah, I brought it up with my wife, and she's like, "No." That's not going to happen. Like, which I I actually agree with her. It seems just I don't have the flexibility. <laughs> I don't have the energy. Uh, 
leave that to some youngster. If there's some young experiential journalist <laughs> out there who wants to, I would read that book. Right. Um, let's do Just Me or Everyone. First, I want to tell you guys I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. If you like what you're hearing and you want more, there's bonus episode. There's there's bonus episodes. There's behind the scenes content. There's a live video stream that's interactive uh, that you can get access to. Level where you get merch in the mail. Different reward levels. It's very fun. Patreon.com/slash Allison Rosen. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and tell every single person you know. And rate and review. I'm asking a lot. I know. <laughs> iTunes.com/slash Allison Rosen is where you go to do all that. Um, but before we start, I, I have one more question for AJ. Twice Removed, the podcast. How did that come about? I'm assuming it was related to the book. Right. They were looking. Alex Bloomberg, who runs Gimlet, which is, uh, they put on some wonderful, mm-hmm. high-quality podcasts, was looking into this area of family history and genealogy and looking for a host. Uh, he didn't have an idea for a show, so we had a meeting, and I had this idea of connecting Two random people. So whether it's like I said, and is he someone who knows you though, or did he like? How did he know that you were well, also we had a mutual okay. friend who introduced us? Uh, but no, I had never met him. Uh, so I pitched the idea, and uh, I, you know, originally in the meeting, uh, one of the people told me it'd be about ten hours of work per episode. And it turned out to be like 10 hours of work for like 10 seconds. Uh, so it was um, it was much more work than I anticipated. But I am glad that I did it. I learned a lot about storytelling. Uh, I learned a lot. Uh, like I had a great time interviewing. And I learned that I uh, hate collaborating with other people. So Would you, you come? Were there times that you came up with two people and then you couldn't connect them? Oh, yeah. I mean, booking the guests was one of the hardest people. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, you could always connect people through this massive family tree of millions of mm-hmm. people, even if it's crazy far away. Like, for instance, Barack Obama is my fifth great aunt's husband's brother's wife's seventh great nephew. So they're like six degrees of Kevin Bacon craziness. But you could... The the trick was the booking. Right. Like you had to, uh, you know, take, there were so many that we wanted to do that we were just not able to. I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, well, well, like like the way I pitched it originally was uh, Richard Dawkins and the Pope. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Like atheist versus, and, and then get them to meet each other and have a discussion. Uh, they were not available. Neither of them. <laughs> well, we didn't even, we didn't approach the Pope or Richard, but the idea was, yeah, we probably would be wasting our time. Right. All right. Let's do Just Me or Everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. This is where people write in, remember, with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or everyone? And we weigh in. Right. Love it. Sunlit Cactus says, when someone's middle initial is V, for example, Emily V. Gordon, it sounds like the first name is versus their last name, like in a duel or court case. I've honestly never thought about that before, but yes, it does. Yeah, it makes total sense. What if your name was Roe V. Wade? (laughs) <laughs> you would it be could. screwed. There yeah. could be a row Wade out there. I bet there is. Like there some parent. Is. I like that one. Right. Like parents How, who give but, their name Candy Cane or something. Oh, yeah. I had a Candy Carmel in my uh, high school. Uh, by the way, this is like 
when I think of this, this is sort of the most cliche, typical, um, is it me or is it everyone? But I am genuinely interested, and you must have done it. Like, I am old. I'm 49 years old, but still, when I see something that costs 69 cents... <laughs> It still cracks me up. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Yeah, no, I'm the same. And I also think farts and burps are really funny. <laughs> like my baby and I, because he just recently started finding farts and burps funny. Don't ask how, he, how, how I discovered this. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, we're at the same level now. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> Demian Cordova says, and he's with the caveat that he may have submitted this before. And I don't know. Sometimes I dream before I'm totally asleep. Yes, I do oh, that. Yeah. I mean, it I feels think like that's hallucinating. A, that's a, a documented scientific phenomenon. Right. Like you're in the twilight uh, sleep, I think they call it, and that's where apparently some of the best creative ideas are. I remember when I did one book, uh, I researched Salvador Dali, mm-hmm. and he would sit on a chair uh, with uh, keys in his hand, and he would try to take a nap, and he would fall asleep, and then drop the keys when you fall asleep, and they would wake him up. But those three seconds would generate amazing ideas. So it is a, you know, try to focus on those ideas yeah. in your weird waking sleep. I don't think I've ever had good ideas in that state. <laughs> Me neither, actually. We're no Salvador Dali. <laughs> Krista Lorenz, Lorenz, or Lorenz says, constantly, speaking of keys, constantly feel like I don't have my phone or keys, have many panic attacks while checking my purse or pockets. Mm. I constantly really don't have my phone or my keys. I <laughs> lose my phone 15 times a day. This is a new thing. It's like I, now that I have, I can't manage a phone and a baby. Really? Apparently. I don't know. Well, I, uh, I a few years ago, I decided I was happening so often. I was like, I'm going to get a system. So I do like, I need that. I went with like left pocket for iPhone and right pocket for keys. And it, and it does help. I also am into like the bulkier the phone, the better. Like I can't deal with like a really thin phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need something like like an albatross weighing So what do you have now? Do you have it on like a, a yardstick? <laughs> like, <laughs> like a that, bathroom key? No, I got it. Oh, new you have one the, and it's, it's the a iPhone big Plus. Ass one. Yeah. Or uh, 6 Plus. But I got it mostly because uh, I like it big and bulky, so I can't lose it. John Schember says, I will never get used to windshield wipers that open from the middle. Hmm, interesting. I don't I have never had that as a major problem. I don't, I mean, I live in New York City, so we don't even own a car. We rent a car. I will say, you remember I said most of my ideas suck. This was an example of a sucky idea. You know, during the, uh, everything's artisanal, like it's better to have people do things than machines. So I was like going to try to rent myself out that I would be on the, 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 hood the top of a car and i would do an artisanal wiping <laughs> of the uh, rain off mm. uh so uh, you know i i'm still willing if if the price is right uh contact me please i remember when when the web was new ish not brand new but new ish at least actually this would have been like early 2000s so it, it wasn't that newish, but but not what it is now. Right. Uh, and I pitched a story to my editor at the OC Weekly that every website I encountered that day I would go to. So oh, like when I'm you know 
let's say I'm using I can't believe it's not butter and it says, you know, go to I can't believe it's because it seemed sort of new at the time that every brand had a website. And he heard me out and he he was very uninterested. I would read that article. Please write it. I feel like now I don't know that it would be interesting now, though, because it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't get any you wouldn't get very far in your day that's you'd true. just be stuck because you would encounter so many back then i think there were fewer right i don't know he just wasn't interested and in, i can't believe it's not butter's self-brand <laughs> <laughs> and whereas i very much am okay lauren k says when my electric toothbrush battery dies i always think of mitch hedberg's escalator <laughs> joke i interesting i'm not proud of this I dropped my Sonicare a while ago. Uh-huh. It broke. I freaked out and ordered another one that day, not even putting it together. Like, oh, it's still a toothbrush. There's a band. Oh, I see. Yes. I have used the electric toothbrush as a manual. And uh, Did yeah, it feel wrong? It totally felt wrong. Yeah. Cognitive dissonance. But, l- l- but let me ask you, because I, I, I do uh, enjoy his comedy, but I don't know that bit. Oh, it's... I don't. I'm gonna mess up the specific wording of it, but it's something like it. It has to do with when an escalator breaks, it stares. Oh, I see. But people like uh, freak out when they it breaks and don't know what to do, or it's just. I no. think it's just. You know what? I'm just gonna Google it real fast because I'm sure I will find it. All right. Excellent. Let's see. I mean, in the meantime. I am, yes, I am a uh, electric toothbrush user, but I also, I feel some guilt because for most of my life I was doing the manual. It goes back to the artisanal versus machine, and I feel like somehow I'm cheating uh, by having this machine do it for me. Here, found it. An escalator can never break. It can only become stairs. You should never see an escalator temporarily out of order sign. <laughs> Just an escalator temporarily stairs. Sorry for the convenience. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay. Lauren, so the answer is no. That does not happen to me yeah. because I never heard the bit. Lauren Kay says, when eating something chewy like Swedish fish, Need to eat two at a time, one for each side of my mouth, so it feels even. Interesting. I don't have that. Well, you know what? Well, it's interesting she brings that up because I have mild OCD, and one of the one of the compulsions I had as a kid was all about twos. Mm. I had to swallow twice. I had to, um, you know, like knock on doors twice, and then twice, twice. And then twice, twice, twice. So, like, it could be like you know minutes of just repeating. So um, you don't have this anymore, though. A little bit, but I never had it with Swedish fish. But uh, <laughs> but my heart goes out to her. Right. Um, well, I'm now at the age where it's like, oh, there's the good side of my mouth and the bad side of my mouth. Like, oh, what this does one. That mean? I, well, I had a root canal years ago on one of my back lower molars. So for years. Actually, now I'm forgetting which side. I didn't want to <laughs> chew on it because mm-hmm. it felt weird to me. Like it didn't feel like a my regular tooth. It felt like this newfangled faux tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't chew on that side for years. And then for some reason, I think the other one started hurting a little bit. I'm painting a picture that I have like a horrible situation going on with my teeth. And actually, my teeth are beautiful and fine. They look <laughs> lovely to me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I think I started... I don't know. I just feel like there's always something that kind of hurts in my mouth, and I'm always choosing one side over the other. Interesting. Maybe that's just me. Well, it's it's certainly not me, (laughs) but it might be. uh, So you just willy nilly just bite down wherever you want. Go crazy! It's like chaos in there. (laughs) Well, I will say for my health, my health book, I actually um, 
have this whole chapter on people who believe we are under-chewers. Uh, we are a nation of under... And they have this movement called Chudaism, which <laughs> I think is very nice, and that you've got to chew more... Like the Orthodox Chudaism people say, like a hundred times per mouthful. I, I can never do that. But, but it is true. It slows down your eating, which is good because you eat less when you eat more slowly. So I am um, like a, a reformed Chudaist. I heard some soft, spurious, spurious or spurious? I'm going to say spurious. I feel it feels, feels more right. Science, in quotes, recently, uh, at this mommy and daddy and me group that I go to sure. <laughs> with my baby and his and my husband, um, the leader was saying that because kids now, there's like these baby food gulp pack soft things that they like can squeeze into their mouth um because kids are so into those their jaws and their mouth muscles are underdeveloped like they're not chewing enough that sounds like real bs it definitely sounds like bs but on the other hand i mean it might be we do definitely have softer food than we did when we were in the paleo but i would say one thing i learned from doing the health book is the level of spuriousness (laughs) of just species crap too. species is just astounding. And people who say it with such conviction, like this guy, I took a walking lesson from this guy <laughs> who claims to be a walking expert and that we're all walking wrong. And I was like, what is your evidence? And he's like, oh, I'm self-taught. I'm like, what does that mean? And he's like, oh, I just discovered it. Like they just make this shit up and people pay millions and billions of dollars. So Good for you for being skeptical. Thank you. AJ, it was so much fun having you on the show. Congratulations on the book, on the reunion. Thank you, Alice. On everything. And congratulations to you. Thank you. Tell people, um, well, so your, all your books are available on Amazon, and I True. will put a link in the episode. But tell and people. And independent bookstores. Don't forget that's about right. them. Tell people where to plug all your everythings. Well, my website is ajjacobs.com. My new book is called It's All Relative, as you say, available on websites everywhere. And my Twitter is at ajjacobs. And I don't know what else to plug, but buy everything associated with (laughs) it. Do it, you guys. Uh, and follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. Follow me on Instagram at Allison Rosen. And follow producer Jeff, who you didn't hear on this episode, but you felt his presence. He's at Colonel Jeff Fox. AJ, thank you again for thank being the you, show. Loved it. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? time